Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. We're going to continue in the book of Jonah. We're calling this series Out of Control, Trusting God in Crisis. And today we're talking about desperate prayer. If you're new to the Bible and you've got a paper Bible with you, let me help you find Jonah. Crack it open right in the middle. You're going to be somewhere in the book of Psalms. Turn to the right. You're going to get through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Then you're going to start getting to shorter books like Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. It's just one page long. Jonah is right there. If you get to Micah or Nahum, you've gone too far. Jonah's four little chapters long. This, this prophet from northern Israel that, that we hardly know anything about except that he got swallowed by a fish. And I don't know if you saw, the, how many saw the news story this week about the guy out off the eastern uh, seaboard there who got taken in by a humpback whale. And he's like, oh no, I'm in a whale. And uh, he's, it was all dark, but he had the presence of mind to realize where he was and did not get consumed, but instead got spit out. And eyewitnesses said he came out, they saw the whale breach, and then they saw this guy come out feet first, being spit out of this whale, and he lived to tell the tale. So I think it was, a, I, it was fun. It was kind of a fun episode. Uh, my wife had to send me that. She goes, have you seen this story? And um, there it is. And there's witnesses and everything. So we know it really, really happened. So last week we got started in uh, Jonah and we looked at chapter one and we just have kind of quick review. A few things we talked about. We said, you may remember this if you're here, everyone has a Nineveh. When you think about that assignment from God or that challenge, that relationship that needs to be reconciled, uh, uh, you know, a calling from the Lord, everyone has an Nineveh that sometimes we don't want to do. It's too hard. It's too scary. It's too costly. It's too something. We say, no, I don't want to go. And yet we're saying everyone has a Nineveh. What's your Nineveh? We talked about um, then we talked about how we recalibrate, how we get turned back in the right direction with through praise, that praise is this great calibrating activity in our lives. Hopefully you can come uh, tonight to the, to the worship night. And then uh, we talked about how how the storm uh, sometimes can be an act of God's love, a demonstration of God's love and his grace. And you think it doesn't feel very loving. But what if God is going to extreme lengths to get hold of your heart? Or you think about your loved one, a family member, a, a friend, a coworker who's going through a deep, troubling time and everything in you wants to rescue them out of it everything in you wants to to prevent those hard things from happening but what if that's an act of god's love to rescue them and it's possible so those are things we talked about last week today we're going to read jonah chapter 2 which is uh, jonah's uh, testimony and prayer from the belly of the fish jonah chapter 2 beginning at verse 1 goes like this It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from inside the fish. And he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. And he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead. And Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, oh, Lord, you've driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. 
I sank beneath the waves, verse 5, and the waters closed over me, seaweed wrapped around my head. It's just so descriptive. Can't you just see this happening to him? And I sank down to the very roots of the mountains, and I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. Verse 9, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah onto the beach. Thank the Lord for his word. So, you know, I said this is a prayer, but it's really a prayer and a testimony together. Most of us have been taught that prayer is something that's very private, just you and the Lord. And, and Jesus, of course, is the one who said in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 6, Jesus says, when you pray, uh, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. So that's what Jesus taught. We think, yeah, some of you have a prayer closet. Some of you have a private place where you pray and it's you and the Lord. And yet all the prayers that are recorded in the scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, all the prayers recorded are either prayed publicly or uh, prayed in a group or written down for us, somehow recorded for us to read. And so there's also a very public corporate element nature about prayer. When Jesus talked about going to your closet and pray, he's specifically contrasting it to those kind of hypocritical folks that pray in order to be heard. They, they, they pray to impress uh, others. And Jesus is saying, I'm not, I'm not interested in that kind of prayer. So in contrast to that, pray alone. So there's both, you know, this intimate one-to-one conversation with God in prayer. But prayer is also a corporate, meaning shared experience. And I promise you, churches that pray together grow. Churches that pray together are effective. If you want to read about that, probably one of the best books it's it's been around for a while now but it's still such a great testimony it's called fresh wind fresh fire by jim cimbala um, in fact i think i even have an extra copy if you want to read it it's a great book about prayer as a church but what could be more private and desperate than a three-day prayer retreat in the belly of a fish and that's where jonah is alone with god no escape and he, he gets, he gets it done. He gets down to business with the Lord. And, and so this chapter gives us kind of a glimpse into Jonah's amazing time uh, with God. And so I'm going to give you a few things that he teaches us. If you're taking notes today, you want to write this down. We see, first of all, that desperate prayer declares, I will. Desperate prayer declares, I will. I will statements are faith statements, aren't they? You know, uh, you know, sometime yesterday you said, I will go to church tomorrow. Or maybe right now you're just thinking, I will go to Taco Bell as soon as this guy stops talking. <laughs> right? There's a faith declaration in that. Now, those are, those are pretty easy. We say those kinds of things all the time. But what about when things are desperate? When things are really challenging? When things look kind of hopeless? When things are overwhelming? What do we say then when it's financially overwhelming, mentally difficult, physically overwhelming, relationally too much for us to handle? 
It's not as easy in those moments to make those I will declarations, is it? It's hard. It's hard. You think about, for example, think about the worst events in a relationship, a betrayal, a divorce, a death, those deep, deep, painful moments. It's very hard to say, I will recover. I will forgive. I will love again. It's tough in those moments to do that. But in desperate prayer, in this kind of prayer we're talking about here, we are laying hold of faith. We're grabbing onto faith by saying, I will. You look at these statements in, for example, verse 4. Jonah says, I will look once more to your holy temple. Verse 9. I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill my vows. Jonah is making strong declarations right from the belly of the fish. Because there's nothing in that moment, as deep as he is in the ocean, there's nothing in the moment that holds any promise for Jonah. There's nothing to, there's no light at the end of his tunnel. Or, or maybe there is. Because he's still alive. He's still breathing. And as long as you have breath, as long as you have breath, you are able to call on the Lord. And the promises we said before, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise of God. And so you can declare, I will. And you might feel far from God. You might feel far from hope. You might feel far from the promises of God or far from a vision that he gave you or a a dream that he planted in your heart or a hope or a calling. You might think that's all gone. It's too late. I've messed up too much. I've gone too far. I've taken on too much debt. I've got too many obligations, whatever you think. I can't do it. And yet in all those things, while you still have breath, you can say, I will. It may even seem unlikely and impossible. And I'm asking you this. What's your I will statement? What is your I will statement? Is it, I will lift my voice in praise even though I battle depression? Is it, I will hear God's voice even though he seems silent right now? Is it, I will see my son or my daughter repent and come back to the Lord? Is it, I will Serve the Lord on the mission field. Whatever it is, those I will statements are your faith declaration and they are powerful. What's your I will statement? If you're taking notes today and God's prompting something, write it down. Write it down. There's power in the written word. There's power in putting things on paper. I will. What is your I will statement? Your faith moment. Now there's a warning here too. Jonah sees it. We see it in verse 8. He declares it. Look at verse 8 with me. He says, Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. That word mercies, it's chesed, can be translated in a variety of ways. It's, it's, It's translated love. It's translated grace. It's translated loving kindness. It's translated faithfulness. It's a very loaded word. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on or they forfeit God's mercy. One translation says they forfeit God's grace. And that's that's what I want. If you're taking notes, write this down. False worship forfeits God's grace. False worship forfeits God's grace. See, everyone worships. 
everyone worships. We don't all worship God, but we all worship. Some might worship gods, false gods, demons even. Some of you were paying attention on January 4th when our current session of Congress convened and a so-called pastor by the name of Emmanuel Cleaver was asked to give the invocation prayer and he concluded his prayer in the name of Brahma in India, a Hindu deity, a, a demonic god. He invoked that over our Congress. Same, same guy who said amen and a woman. She tells you he doesn't, it's, it's, not a, it's not a gender thing. Right? I hope you were as disturbed by that as I was. My heart just broke. It just cried out, God, what's happened? We're not submitting to you. We're inviting, invoking the presence of demonic powers. More likely, our false worship is, you know, idle, human-conceived philosophies, erroneous beliefs, cultural causes that are, that are at their core good causes, important things to deal with, essential problems to solve. But anytime we put a belief or a behavior above God's word, above God's instruction, then that's a sin. That's idol worship. It's, it's, it's false worship, but it's a form of worship. And listen, it's not about religion, you know, religious versus secular. Our culture is intensely religious right now in the sense of there's a, there's a religious fervor to what's happening in our, in our culture. It's not godly, but it's, it's zealous. There's a, there's a passion about things that are even anti-God, opposed to truth. It's nothing to do with truth, but it rallies us. It rallies people because it's causes that feel good. And, and, and yet it creates conflict. And it, it's, a, it's a form of worship. It's false worship. It's, it's elevating humanistic values above the truth of God's word. And when that happens... You know, we're in danger of forfeiting God's grace over us. So pay attention to what you're being told and what you're being sold by secular sources. They're not leading you to the goodness and the kindness and the grace of God. Even Jesus said, be as wise as doves and as shrewd as serpents. Pay attention. Be attentive to what's happening. Does it line up with Scripture? Is it true? Is it right? So much of what's happening... The messaging right now, the narrative in, in culture and media, so much of it is telling you that what you know and believe to be true is not true, that it's false or worse than false, that it's hateful or, or whatever else. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not on a tirade against anybody here. I'm just warning us that, you know, you're, you're being bombarded with messaging that is anti-God and anti-truth and anti-biblical but boy, it sounds and feels good because it's couched in that language, but it's a false worship. False worship forfeits the grace of God. Don't, don't worship false philosophies. And yet, listen, that, that might, might sound harsh. It's not harsh at all because I want you to catch the kindness of God in this verse. It doesn't say those who worship false gods are going to be punished by God or going to be destroyed by God. That's not what he says. 
He says, those who worship false gods turn their backs on. They forfeit God's mercies. God's grace, God's love, God's kindness. It, it, it pains me to think about how when someone is turning into those other things, they're actually turning their back on the God who loves them. They're turning their back on Jesus who died for every sin. On, on Jesus who went to extreme lengths to demonstrate his love for them. It, it, it's, it is heartbreaking. So God's not turning away from those who worship false gods. Our false worship turns us away from God, but God's still there and ready, ready to welcome back any who would turn to him humbly in repentance. And like I say, that should break our hearts. It should break our hearts when we see that happen. We should cry out to God on behalf of those because a person living deceived in wrong belief, they don't know, they don't understand. Deception means you don't know that you've been misled. And a person living deceived in wrong belief is actually missing out on what God has for them, which is his saving grace through faith in Christ Jesus. So, listen, don't make the mistake of dismissing this, just thinking, well, hey, you know, everybody can believe what they believe. You do you, I'll do me. You know, it's all good. You know, believe this if you want, but you do. Listen, don't fall for that. Of course, everyone's entitled to their own belief. Absolutely. But we want to do all we can to let people see the truth of God's great love for them and how he's extended. He's gone extreme lengths to make his grace known. And we want people to know that so they can worship God instead of worshiping false beliefs, false philosophies, false demons, all those things. Do you see the difference? God's there with arms open wide. His great, great love. And you may remember me saying just a couple weeks ago that, that the gospel of grace doesn't make your sin acceptable. It doesn't gloss it over and say, yeah, it's fine now. That's not what it does. It didn't convert your sin into something good. The gospel of grace sets you free from sin and cleanses you from all unrighteousness so that you can be acceptable to God most holy. None of us wants to try standing before God in our own version of righteousness. I don't want to stand before God and say, well, I know you sent Jesus, but I figured I would take care of it myself. I figured I was going to be a pretty good person and hopefully it all the good outweighs the bad, God. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't, that, that won't get you saved. The truth is that I have to repent and bring my life under the lordship, the kingship of Jesus Christ. And we talked about before to say, yes, Lord, I submit to you. I yield to you. I surrender my life to you. Why? Because he's the the God who loves you, who went to extreme lengths to, to demonstrate that love to you. So false worship, which is, you know, prioritizing anything else above God. False worship is prioritizing anything else above God that will forfeit his grace in your life. And I need his grace every moment of my of my life. Now, true worship is truly powerful. And I love where Jonah lands in this uh, whole episode. Keep in mind that, you know, this chapter is a tiny little summary of this extended dark time in the in the belly. I mean, it's miserable down there it's horrible it's awful it's stinky it's i don't know some have said you know his skin might have been falling off from all that acids from the fish i don't know i don't know how fish digest anything 
Um, but it can't have been good. Oh, that's all I know. It can't have been good. But look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9 says this. Jonah speaking. He says, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. It's a declaration from Jonah. Jonah didn't say, you know, if I ever get out of here, you know, I'll praise you, God. You know, if you save my life, God, I'll make you a deal. I'll serve you. He doesn't say that. In the very worst of his troubles, at that deepest moment of despair, Jonah lifted his voice saying, my salvation comes from the Lord alone. That second part of verse 9. My salvation comes from the Lord alone. He hadn't been saved yet when he prays that. The salvation hadn't come yet. And yet he declares in faith, that's where it's coming from. Some of you are saying, you've got friends who say, well, how can you believe in a God? You don't even know what heaven's really like. You don't even know if it's really there. You know how, you know, I had this conversation with a guy the other day. I was talking about, you know, how, you know, who Jesus is and how he can be saved. And he's like, yeah, well, we don't really know. I'm like, I just left. I said, well, if I'm wrong, so be it. If you're wrong, you know, my faith declares my salvation comes from the Lord alone. He's praising God for salvation. So I would say it this way. Desperate prayer is powered by praise. Desperate prayer is powered by praise. You know, earlier we prayed the Lord's Prayer. You know how it begins, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's a declaration of worship. That's acknowledging the holiness and the greatness of God. It's, it's, it's reminding ourselves that God is above all and He is holy. Jesus taught us that prayer, proper prayer, begins in worship. We're lifting God up with the honor that He deserves. And, you know, praise and prayer are so closely connected, you really can't separate praise from prayer. I would say prayer is praise, and praise is prayer. They're, they're, they're together. And you think about how most of us pray, and, and I include myself. Sometimes I think, Brian, that's oh, terrible. You know, we, it's a quick, thank you, God, and, and then it's help me and be with me and protect me. And, you know, listen, we're, we, all, we all fall into that. And, and it's sincere. I know that. But we're basically saying, hey, God, here's my list. Here's what I need from you today. And... uh I'll check back with you tomorrow, maybe or a couple days from now, right? And no wonder prayer is boring. No wonder it's uninteresting to you. I, I, I don't think it's that interesting to God either when we pray like that. Real prayer is praise-powered. It begins and it ends in worship. Did you know you can, you can pray virtually out, out of Scripture, virtually anywhere you can praise? For example, uh, yesterday I was reading... Second uh, Corinthians 12 is part of my devotions. And the Apostle Paul is there talking about some of the troubles he had in his life and some of the hardship he's gone through and how he asked God to, to deal with this difficulty in his life. And he says, but the Lord spoke to me. My, my strength is perfected in your weakness. My grace is made perfect in your weakness. And, and I just, you know, I kind of read through the rest of the chapter. And I was just saying, God, I just want to praise you for 
for this truth that in my weakness, you're made great. In Paul's weakness, you glorified yourself. You demonstrated your grace in his weakness. Thank you, God, for for having Paul write that down because that was so encouraging to me today. And you can just praise right out of Scripture. There, there, you know, you know I, I just think, yeah, the, the power of praise. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we spend half our time, when we gather together, we spend half our time singing, lifting up our voices to God together. Why do we do that? It's because it's recalibrating that word we used last week. It's re, realigning my heart with God so that I'm ready for this, communing with Him in the Word, being in His presence. Let His Word wash me over again. And and I just invite you to infuse more prayer into your, more praise into your prayer. Um, You know, before you get into your request, just begin by praising God. Just thank Him for all He's done. Praise Him for who He is. Uh, There's there's an author, Daniel Henderson, he wrote a book called Transforming Prayer. And he, he does a great job of talking about, you know, we say prayer is a conversation with God, but who starts the conversation? Let God start the conversation from His Word. Let Him speak to you. And then you respond and you have a back and forth dialogue with him. Praise will lead you to a whole new perspective. Your troubles will not seem as great. Your faith will blossom. Your compassion for others will grow. You're going to be led to repentance more naturally. The New Testament says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And as we begin to worship him, we recognize, God, you're so good. Oh, God, you're reminding me about this dumb thing I said to my wife yesterday. Lord, I repented that, and I'm going to go make it right with her. He does all those things in our life as we praise him. He recalibrates you. You know, Jonah said, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. Those sacrifices included, you know, the, the, the sin offering. Those places I'm going to repent and I'm going to praise. I'm going to invite worship team back because there's a great song you're let us close with. Yes, I will. It's the song. And you may, uh, you may not feel like you're in the belly of the fish, uh, these days. You might feel like you're smooth sailing. Everything's going great. It's nice calm waters. It's a gentle breeze. You're cooking along. That is fantastic. Uh, maybe you've just come out of a storm. Maybe you're heading into a storm. We don't know what your, what your life is about. But I want to tell you this, that you can still pray. You can pray. You can bring your praise to God. Maybe you're in the storm. Maybe you're overboard. Maybe you're sinking down to the depths and the seaweed's wrapped around your head. And you think, I, I, I don't even know how to deal with tomorrow, let alone the rest of the week. Maybe there's stuff in your business or your home or your relationships, finances, and you're just like, it's too much. It's overwhelming. Maybe you feel like you are in the belly of the fish about to be consumed by all those troubles. I don't want to, I want to just remind you wherever you are, whatever you're going through right now, just bring it to God. Surrender it to Him. Fuel that prayer with your praises because He is still worthy. He's still the God of, uh, uh, still the King of all kings. Remember that your true worship accesses the grace of God, which you need every moment of your life. And best of all, declare those I will statements in faith, in prayer, in desperate prayer. As we close with this song, I just want you to consider, what's my I will statement today? 
What's your declaration of faith? God, I will see this. I will do that. I will hear whatever it is you're saying. God, I will. I believe. My confidence is in you alone. If you're able to stand with me as we close in the song, please do. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.